Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hey, everyone, Anne Louise Gittleman, yet once again for First Lady of Nutrition, where every single week I bring you the latest and greatest in nutrition, health, and healing. I've been in the business for 40 years, and so know many of my guests personally and professionally. I'm the proud New York Times author of over 36 books. My latest is Radical Longevity, so pick it up today at Amazon.com. And today I'm going to introduce to you Dr. Christian Bogner, who is an educator and an experienced practitioner in genetics. He's an expert in neurotransmitters, toxicities, and his focus is on genetics, but we're gonna figure out why there's such an increase in so many co-infections. Dr. Bogner, welcome, welcome, welcome. Dr. Bogner, welcome once again to First Lady of Nutrition. How did you get so involved in genetics? Well, I was looking for a solution for my own son. He's 17. He's uh, autistic and, um, you know, changed my whole career to figure out what's going on. And what did you figure out? What is the genetic root cause of autism? Well, um, you know, I don't think there's a single gene that we can isolate and say, hey, you know, this is uh, you're going to have autism. Obviously, you know, something happened on our lifeline. Um, you know, I think it was in the 1990s that rather something was introduced into the food chain that caused, you know, certain individuals that are most susceptible to these toxins um, develop certain inflammatory responses that lead to certain symptoms like autism. But many more, uh, as you know, autoimmune diseases, uh, fatigue syndromes, psychiatric disorders, Alzheimer's, cancer, you know, all of these are on the rise, not on decline. And and so autism is just one of many that I'm focused on in particular, but mechanisms, uh, in my opinion, um, appear to be very, very similar. Um, and that depends on the genetics. And, and you know, like if you drink a glass of wine and Louise, uh, you might have a different reaction than me, you know, where I tend to want to go to sleep, you might, you know, uh, uh, have a great time. Um, <laughs> Dance in the streets. And so the difference lays in our metabolism of certain toxins, our abilities, genetic abilities to, to change things and deal with things. And so certain individuals have, you know, stronger areas, you know, some people have very strong detoxification abilities in the liver, whereas others don't. And, you know, some can break down histamine quicker than others. And so that, that all has consequences on behavior and uh, overall homeostasis. Um, and so you, bring in these variations, we call them SNPs, um, single uh, uh, nucleotide polymorphisms, you know, where there's just a little substitution in the code of the DNA in a particular gene um, that doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't make the gene not work, it just makes it and oftentimes work slower, you know, and then it depends on, of course, uh, did you get a slower copy from mom, from dad, or from both of them, and so uh, that's why, you know, you know, do that for about 200 more genes, uh, 
can show you how we are all different in our responses to the environment. So what do you think, just to backtrack a little bit, was introduced in the food chain in the 1990s to create toxicity? Uh, I think it's glyphosate. Um, glyphosate, as you know, the GMO cropping was introduced in the mid-90s, especially in this country and then worldwide. Um, you know, this genetically modified seed was developed for one purpose, to resist pesticide exposure. So when you plant that seed, and you sprayed pesticides on it, that seed survived, whereas everything else around it died, which was meant to you know, increase the nutrient supply to the GMO seed only. Uh, and you have these beautiful crops, um, and I don't think there's much wrong with that. However, unfortunately, uh, these crops like uh, corn, soy, um, they're also sprayed on wheat, even though wheat is not a GMO. But all of these food products that, that are derived from these um, crops do contain traces of glyphosate, even though they're very low. Um, you know, in parts per billion, um, they can create toxicity because the mechanism is that these uh, toxins in the food supply interact with our microbiome. They're very toxic to certain beneficial bacteria that we have in our gut. And as you know, we have 40,000 different bacteria um, groups in our gut, weighing about three and a half pounds. And they're supposed to be there in balance to protect us from the outside, to uh, produce vitamins, to um, break down toxins and so forth. Um, but when you have now these chemicals in the food and you start to kill some of the good bacteria, and with glyphosate, we know it's bifidiobacterium and lactobacillus, uh, which we know, for example, in conditions like autism, we have lower levels of those. Well, then uh, the balance is off and we start to uh, become more susceptible to inflammation, leaky gut, yeast overgrowth, mold, parasites. And, and that is the core of it all, in my opinion, you know, um, I always think of the gut as the only organ uh, that is not dependent on its misery from another organ. You know, the liver might be uh, a mess, but it's only because of the gut. Um, the brain might be inflamed, but it's because of the liver. But the gut is only responding to the environment, you know, what we put in our mouth. And, and so I think it's a, a, a root problem right there that this inflammation caused by these chemicals especially in vulnerable children um, that don't have a developed microbiome um, you know that happens right after birth um, and you know we we have glyphosate in breast milk we have glyphosate in baby food we have glyphosate in believe it or not prenatal vitamins uh, i've tested them personally and so these chemicals um, interact with our microbiome and simply make us more susceptible to uh, yeast mold and uh, parasites um, often, which then create toxicity. So how do you get rid of the glyphosates? And do you think that's an underlying cause of all the gluten sensitivities we're seeing? Yeah, surely. Um, uh, I mean, um, you know, they do spray glyphosate on wheat before the harvest to keep it drier. Um, but yeah, I, I do believe that um, uh, glyphosate is a big problem. Uh, we can't probably avoid it. I think the only solution is to ban it. And, and so we can, of course, wrap ourselves in a bubble and 
but yeah, it, of course, it's clean diets, you know, washing your food, um, educating yourself, you know, where glyphosate is most commonly um, concentrated in, you know, very high in dairy products. Um, and often, read, you know, you need to start reading labels, you know, anything that contains soy or corn, uh, high fructose corn syrup products or or wheat, you know, be careful. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, I think it, it does require living in a toxic environment like this um, to, of course, be on top of with your with your diet and also with, you know, certain probiotics and uh, remedies that can help to bring or at least help with reestablishing that balance in the gut. So when it comes to genetics, which I'm fascinated with, many of my followers do 23andMe or Ancestry.com. Is that enough to get a good DNA history, so to speak? Yeah, and it's a discussion by itself. You know, should you use companies like this? I'm, uh, I, I never recommend to get your DNA checked by these companies, um, just because they've grown so large and, and powerful. You know, who knows what they're doing with our DNA? Um, but yeah, I mean, if you already have done that, I have. You know, what, uh, twelve years ago, uh, you can download your raw data, and with this raw data file, there are third parties where you can plug that in, and they spit out some very good information about your DNA because I mean 23andMe is designed to tell you your heritage you know and if you're at risk for certain things and if you want to participate in genetic research but they don't really give you a nice overview of the genes that uh, you know are relevant to, to in, in, in the clinic um, and so these third parties can generate that I use uh, you know mouth swab from a different company MaxGen um, and they nicely present to you uh, about 120 genes and uh, put it very patient friendly in a document, you know, what diet should you avoid, you know, um, are you at risk for high cholesterol, what vitamins do you have trouble um, generating, um, which, uh, where's the problem in your liver, do you have problems producing glutathione, do you have problems binding glutathione to the toxin, do you have problems reducing free radicals. Do you have problems with methylation? Where in the methylation cycle do you need help? And, and then also in regards to neurotransmission, you know, do you have um, problems breaking down adrenaline or dopamine, for example? Um, because all of that is important when we, when we take in a patient's complaints. You know, what, what do you want to work on? Do you have sleep problems? Do you have depression? Do you have uh, no motivation? Uh, do you have pain? You know, all of the answers uh, could be potentially found in, in the genes. Um, and so it's all interrelated. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, you know, if, to go back to that wine sample, you know, if you have a problem with breaking down the, uh, the, the sulfate portion of, of the wine uh, with a gene, it's called SUOX, sulfide oxidase, if you have two variations in that gene and it's about 70% reduced in its capacity to break down sulfur, sulfates, then the sulfate needs to be broken down in a different way. And it pushes into the ammonia cycle and you produce ammonia and you can have headaches. Um, whereas the other person has no problem with that. So what could we do for a person like that? Well, be careful with wine is, is one, mm -hmm. but you know, what stimulates this genes is what's important because there are, you know, a gene needs a specific signal to go to work or a cofactor uh, such as a vitamin or a mineral. 
but in the in the example of the sulfide oxidase, you know, there's uh, molybdenum, a mineral that helps with kind of um, stimulating that gene to do its job, or vitamin B1 or water. Um, and so all of these uh, genes, you know, we can analyze, oh, look, you know, this individual complains of a lot of anxiety. And, and so we look at the genes. And for example, one of the genes that breaks down adrenaline, which is called COMT, um, is, is not working very well. Um, and so whenever the person gets stressed, well, that leads to anxiety. Um, and, um, you know, that gene, for example, uh, can be stimulated with methy methylation and uh, magnesium, um, you know, hence there are companies uh, that produce magnesium supplements and call them calm, for example, because it calms you down because the magnesium stimulates the COMT to break down adrenaline. That's very, very simplified. I mean, we can go into real much detail for particular conditions if you, if you like, uh, such as autism to to discuss more where the problem areas are uh, in regards to uh, the brain. But yeah, um, that's kind of the overview of genetics. Um, it's, it's very customized to each individual, uh, not just, hey, this worked for my last patient. It's really, we have to look at your capacities and see where we can do some um, polishing up of certain genes that are not working at full capacity. So how much does this cost? Well, um, you know, MaxGen is a, it's a genetic test. It's about three hundred and fifty dollars, and gives you a lot of information that That's will not true. expire. That sounds very reasonable. Do you get a readout of what you should do? Um, you know, I think a lot of patients that I have they're a little overwhelmed with this because it's a mountain of information. You, like I said, you could talk about this for for days. You could dive into each gene and then pull up the research with that gene and. Uh, what can be done about it, the latest and greatest. Um, and so in general, the, the patients get this information, it's great, but the, what do I do now? And so that's where I do discussions and counseling um, in regards to, all right, what are your goals? Just because you have these genes doesn't mean anything really, um, because you can have somebody living a healthy life, but they have pretty you know, uh, uh, concerning genes on paper but because they're living a healthy lifestyle, they actually have no symptoms yes. and vice versa. You can have good looking genes, but somebody that doesn't sleep and, and drinks and smokes and, um, you know, and he's not doing very well. And so that's where we need to integrate, you know, what does the patient actually want? Um, what are your concerns? And then we look at the genes versus the other way around. Where can we help you? You know, where... Uh, if a gene doesn't work very well, did it create a buildup of something that could be toxic and did it lead to a deficiency uh, that can create problems? You know, I mean, uh, vitamin C deficiency causes scurvy, uh, uh, pellagra, vitamin B3 deficiency, it can kill you. So um, deficiencies are just as important as toxicities because that uh, kind of concludes that all we need to do is nourish our genes, um, make sure there's everything that the gene needs to do what it's supposed to do, because the function of our DNA is to keep us alive for what, roughly 100 years, maybe? 120 we, years. 120, <laughs> right. And so, uh, you know, um, that's why I'm a big believer in genetic nutrition, genetic uh, signaling, um, looking at the genes to find solutions for each individual and let the DNA do its job rather than 
go in the medication route, you know, which, as you know, just covers up the uh, symptoms of so, toxicity. Many people are just infatuated with the MTHFR, the 1298 and 677. How important is that in detox? Uh, well, um, I, I chuckle because uh, it's very true. You know, many patients say, oh, I have, you know, MTHFR. Uh, as a single isolated finding, it really means nothing. Um, about 60% of the population has a variation in one of the, you know, 677 or 1298 MTHFR genes. But, uh, you know, it's just a drop in a bucket of how you need to connect this to all the other genes that are usually being checked where we have good research from. Um, you know, what MTHFR does simply is the last step to activate vitamin B, uh, B9 into methylfolate. Um, you know, but there are many other genes that are required to activate vitamin B9. You know, there's MTHFD1, DHR, FOLR2. There are about six genes involved to convert the dietary uh, form of, you know, uh, folate or, you know, um, the added folic acid, the fortified folic acid synthetic into methylfolate. And so if any of those genes are having a homozygous variation, meaning both parents gave you uh, a slower copy, then you produce less methylfolate. And, you know, methylfolate, as you know, is a uh, uh, methylated vitamin that's required along with homocysteine and B12 to produce methylation energy, SAMI. And methylation energy is required to do, you know, it's involved in over 300 chemical processes in the body. It deactivates histamine. It breaks down adrenaline. You know, it, it, it breaks down dopamine. It, it, it's Without it, we have accumulations of neurotransmitters, of homocysteine, um, of, uh, you know, less production of uh, glutathione um, and less ability in general to detoxify. Yes. Um, so yeah, MTHFR is a single isolated finding. Uh, I can't tell you much about it because all the genes prior to MTHFR, all the genes that follow MTHFR need to be taken in consideration with the clinical picture of the patient. Um, it's, it's really um, not very helpful in my opinion, but it's certainly a gene that I check. Um, but yeah, there are other genes I think that are, um, you know, just as important. I have a lot of followers and clients that are a little older. They're 60 through 90 at this day and time. Many of them have been on anti-anxiety meds like benzodiazepines. How toxic is this for most genetics? Well, if it, if it works in a patient at the age of 90, um, you know, I mean, what are we going to uh, interfere, you know, and potentially make things worse? That's what I would look at it. Well, if it works for you at this point, well, that's good. But um, no, in general, again, if that person with the taking the benzodiazepine has no cognitive problems um, and is living a happy life, go ahead. Uh, why not? Would I ever prescribe it? No, uh, I wouldn't. But uh, would I try to change that regimen for the patient? No, I would not. Um, if they're interested, certainly, because it might cause you know, side effects. Um, but in general, you know, everybody's anxious uh, to one point. You know, we are living uh, with mostly sympathetic guts, um, you know, where um, a lot of ammonia is produced by yeast and mold and 
uh, overwhelming deliver you know ammonia stimulates the adrenal glands causing adrenal fatigue and the adrenaline uh, uh, you know stimulates the amygdala you know causing you to be in a constant fight or flight uh, stressed state uh, which leads to immunosuppression and so forth but um, uh, yes um, I mean um, the benzodiazepine are simply there to activate the GABA system um, you know and that's where it all kind of plays out uh, in the brain it's between GABA and glutamate uh, really that cycle of recycling glutamate production of GABA and so forth and a lot of individuals have problems with the generation of, of GABA in particular, and there are, um, especially with age, uh, problems with the excess glutamate, you know, which uh, is a problem because glutamate is, even though it's a very important neurotransmitter, obviously, if it's not taken up correctly into the astrocyte, um, it leads to glutamate you know, the glutamate, increased glutamate tone, um, which means that the glutamate receptor actually will downregulate because there's just too much around. Um, and there's decreased glut glutaminergic tone, which leads to cognitive, de cognitive deficits. And so you can produce all the GABA you want with your benzodiazepines, but it doesn't give you the cognitive function. It reduces the anxiety, but you might still have cognitive decline. And, and that is the problem I see. It's not looking at the whole problem correctly. Um, why is there cognitive decline? Why is a person at age 60 developing dementia, whereas the other person at the age of 90 is teaching law at Columbia? I don't know. Um, the, the, the answer is the glutamate GABA glutamine cycle. And, and that can be addressed very effectively, in my opinion, by using or analyzing the uh, levels, the amino acid levels, uh, you know, to determine if the patient has ammonia toxicity, do they have yeast overgrowth? Because at the end of the day, it's the ammonia that causes the mental decline and the toxicity to neurons. Um, wow. You know, ammonia that's, has that's been... Huge. Dr. Dr. Bogner, that's huge. None of my guests have ever mentioned that. Can you go into that with a little more detail, the ammonia? Can you actually smell the ammonia when you go to the bathroom? Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at unikeyhealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fat Blasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the Ultimate Brain Support and the Magnesium Multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. I have clients well, that, that I have clients that complain of that. That's so why I'm asking. Oh, sure, sure thing. So, um, ammonia is produced by the breakdown of protein. However, it, when we have bacterial overgrowth or yeast overgrowth, you know those or parasites, ammonia is a simple, simply a byproduct from these organisms. And when we have leaky gut, you know a, a lot of ammonia is trafficked. And the first pass, as you know, everything from the gut has to go through the liver. Um, and well, except the uh, rectum, I guess, that bypasses the liver, but 
you get the point. Everything has to go through the liver. So if there's a lot of ammonia coming through, the the mechanism of breaking down that ammonia is, is done with the urea cycle. So there are genes in there and there are uh, enzymes that get generated from these genes that break down uh, ammonia to urea. And the problem is that when we have excess ammonia, the liver is not capable of keeping all of that ammonia um, you know, from entering the blood. And when it enters the blood, it eventually gets to the brain. And the brain, unfortunately, doesn't have these enzymes that the liver has. It doesn't have the genetics. And so the only cell in the brain that can uh, has the ability really to break down ammonia is the astroglial cell. And the astroglial cell uh, has a very specific enzyme that's only found in that cell. And that's called uh, glutamine synthetase. And what that enzyme does, it grabs glutamate and it grabs ammonia and it forms glutamine. And glutamine uh, then is you know, sent back to the neuron for the natural production of, of GABA. And the whole cycle continues. You know, glutamate is taken up. It's not toxic to the neuron anymore. It binds with ammonia in the astrocyte and it forms glutamine and then goes back. And if you disrupt that cycle in any sense, then you have toxicity of glutamine, which downregulates your glutamine uh, receptors, which causes cognitive, uh, which causes you to just have no brain power. And you have ammonia toxicity, which will contribute to mental uh, deterioration. And so there are a lot of studies that show that if we target this cycle, that there has been improvement. I mean, just to give you an example, um, there is um, a creatine, for example. Creatine um, has been shown in studies to improve cognitive function in um, Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. um, there is sodium butyrate, um, which has been shown to, um, uh, to have improved test scores in uh, models of Alzheimer's and um, you know, targets exactly those, those cycles. And, and, and that's what I'm focusing on primarily. It's obviously very, very complex um, uh, with many more, you know, there's the pyruvate cycle, there's the Krupp cycle, um, all kinds of cycles. And if you have deficiencies of any of those ingredients that are required to drive all these little machines, then it can lead to toxicity and a disruption in that little machinery. And, and so, but the bottom line is that, you know, those are the consequences uh, from the gut, ultimately, is that you're just adding too much, too many toxins, too many toxic substances, uh, and exposing them to the brain, um, where this then all uh, plays out. Um, and so, yeah, ammonia is a very big problem um, in many different diseases. And, you know, to counteract that, um, the body has various other mechanisms to get rid of that. And one of them is the production of glutamine. Um, so glutamine is mostly stored in our muscle, about 90% of it. Um, and the body releases about 50,000 milligrams of glutamine every day in a healthy person. That's 50 grams of glutamine. It's the most abundant amino acid in the human body. And what's interesting is that... Um, the glutamine that's being released helps to fuel the immune system. And it's one of the preferred foods of the immune system. 
it acts as a precursor for DNA to create new proteins. So it's very helpful in restoration of liver and uh, gastrointestinal tissue. So very helpful, for example, to patch up a leaky gut. Um, you know, a lot of practitioners talk about just killing yeast, killing mold, but I'm not talking about enough about repair, uh, repairing at the same time, because if you don't repair, you just kill, you leave behind a battlefield, you know, and it's easier for these organisms to, to kind of uh, grow back. And so, but most of, most, most importantly is that the glutamine that's released is detoxifying the ammonia um, in the brain. Um, um, and, and so does creatine, for example. But, um, you know, the problem is that, you know, during situations of trauma, for example, stroke or um, sepsis um, or any acute event, the body's requirement for glutamine is higher. Or during a fever, for example, when you really need the immune system fueled, the body starts shivering the muscles in order to release more glutamine. Now, the problem then is in autoimmune diseases or in chronic inflammatory diseases, such as in autism, for example, where on a daily basis, you have a higher requirement for glutamine. And sure enough, the body starts to literally digest the muscle. And if you look at patients with chronic uh, inflammatory disorders, they don't have a lot of muscle. The muscle tone is very poor because they simply eventually don't have enough left. And that's when it really uh, manifests with knee pain or you know, chronic headaches, chronic fatigue. You just have no reserves. You literally consumed all of the helpful elements in your body that were stored away. And so I do work a lot with muscle, um, rebuilding muscle with glutamine and creatine um, to, to you know, kind of load up your reserves. And, and then, of course, you know, taking a good look at the genes and uh, counsel patients appropriately and, and what nutrients they should and which ones they maybe shouldn't take, uh, you know, counsel about diet and, um, and exercise and, you know, and, and eventually you know, sometimes even requiring help uh, when they have significant yeast or mold overgrowth or parasites, um, you know, find remedies for that. But in general, um, I this can be done fairly quickly. If you know what you're up against, um, you can target that very specifically. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't do this if I don't have good results. Um, there are always patients where you don't have results. I don't want to lie. But in, in overall, um, it's a very satisfying um, uh, position that I'm in, I'm in if the patient uh, you know, has good results and doesn't require your services anymore. So so and at the same time, good, feel you're good. good you know? doctor. You're a good doctor is what, is what all this means. You're a very good doctor. But I, I'm also concerned about something, and that is that we're seeing a, a rise in neurological issues. Is there a genetic component to that? I'm seeing a lot of Alzheimer's. I'm seeing a lot, a lot of Parkinsonism, not quite Parkinson, but Parkinsonism related ailments, ALS, anything genetically that should be a tip off or key to this insult to the system? Yeah, um, again, it's, it, it all depends really how well equipped you are genetically to um, counteract any toxicities coming from the outside, um, you know, coupled, of course, with your lifestyle, you know, do you eat burrito chips and uh, diet Coke? Or are you on an organic uh, uh, diet? 
you know, that's free of sugar and, and so forth. So there are many fa factors involved with it. But of course, with the neurological rise, um, just like we see in autism and Alzheimer's, like you mentioned, um, exploding, um, it's because in general, because of the same underlying mechanisms. And, you know, one person develops ALS, um, the next person develops MS, you know, which is more an autoimmune mediated process, which is related to leaky gut you know, trafficking food protein into the blood, causing cross-reactivity with the immune system, uh, developing those types of conditions. But then we have patients with mold, for example, that, you know, mold uh, is a particular uh, dangerous uh, animal, in my opinion, because mold releases toxins into the liver and into the blood. And I know that because we measure those toxins in the urine. And when they're particularly high in some patients, well, for one, we know, uh, well, the toxin is in the urine, so it must be also in the blood. And what type of immune reactions does, you know, are generated at that point? You know, as you know, when any toxin enters the blood, you know, just like imagine a mosquito biting your hand, it turns red and itchy. Well, any toxin like a mold toxin, for example, uh, causes the same type of reaction if the liver couldn't catch it. And so now we have histamine elevation. So what are your genetic abilities to break down histamine? Histamine is a neurotransmitter. It stimulates your brain, stimulates your brain tissue, you know, prevents you from sleeping, for example, keeps you awake, even though you're exhausted. You know, some people take Benadryl for that purpose because it blocks that excess histamine. But, in, 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 you know, it, it comes from maybe mold toxins. And so, um, you know, the most important thing about these mold toxins is, however, that they do suppress the immune system and particularly um, natural killer cells. And you know, which are supposed to come after the mold. So the mold is an, an organism that really knows what it's doing in order to maintain, uh, you know, its foot, its foot in, in, in the body is to suppress that system that's coming after it. And so there's okra toxin, for example, or gliotoxin, toxins from mold that we have research evidence from that suppress the immune system. And, and that opens the door for us to be more susceptible to other co-infections, Lyme disease, parasites, yeast, um, you know, you name it. And that by itself can create different neurological symptoms. Um, and a lot of it, I'm sure, is yet to be explored. You know, if we can, maybe one day we see that ALS is linked to a particular mold in the gut or a particular subtype of, of Lyme disease, uh, a bug that causes, you know, triggers the ALS route. Um, and so it's, it's, it's all related to toxicity uh, in one way or another. Um, and, you know, in particular in Alzheimer's or in autism, it's, it's just tends to be the glutamine, glutamate GABA cycle that is disrupted because of a, uh, big problem in the gut. So what about Parkinson and Parkinsonism, which is the fastest growing neurological issue in the country? What is affecting the dopamine, do you think? Um, I honestly don't think it's dopamine related. Um, it's, it's much more complex than that. If you see, look at any Parkinson's patient, I had many of them. Um, initially, they uh, get on their um, levodopa and it's like magic or the Parkinson's is, is, is better. And then after several months, all of a sudden the symptoms return and 
the doctor says, hey, you know, um, this worked so great. Let's just go up with your dose. Yeah. And eventually you're just <laughs> an escalating doses and the Parkinson's is, is raging and maybe takes the edge off a little bit. But um, I mean, I've measured the neurotransmitters of Parkinson's disease patients and the neurotransmitters were often thousand times higher than the reference ranges. And so if dopamine would truly be the answer for Parkinson's, um, it's not, it's not correct. Um, there are other inflammatory mediators, in my opinion, more down the line of neurotransmission, you know, dopamine eventually in the brain generates adrenaline. Um, and I think it, it's more related to, to that, um, uh, adrenaline, because adrenaline, if you have issues with uh, breaking that down, it, it oxidizes, uh, forming an interesting molecule called adrenochrome, which is oxidized adrenaline. Um, so, um, uh, you know, that uh, is are a more likely reason, in my opinions, for Parkinson's. Uh, and, you know, and also with uh, glutamate, the hyperactivation of neurons. Um, but yeah, Parkinson's in particular is very tricky because, you know, there's one inhibitory signal, which the inhibitory signal uh, activates uh, another channel that then inhibits the next channel. And that goes over multiple different brain areas. And it's, it's, it's very, very complex. Uh, but I, I do know that um, the answer is not levodopa, um, I mean, talk to your physician. I'm not giving medical advice, but it's just from what I'm observing and, you know, the successes that I have had with my patients um, is to take a closer look, you know, take a look at your neurotransmitters. What are your glutamate, dopamine, serotonin, histamine levels? You know, um, uh, what about the breakdown products of dopamine or serotonin? Are they high or are they low? What about the genes that make all of that happen? All of that can be looked at in a much more detail and you can modulate these, these systems, um, uh, you know, with the appropriate nutrient. Um, and so, but I do believe in particular in Parkinson's, there's an underlying, um, at least that's my belief, there's an underlying reason, uh, again, in the GI system, um, which uh, most likely is uh, uh, related to mold overgrowth. Interesting. And last but not least, let's talk about Epstein-Barr. Do you think it's an opportunistic infection or a major virus? Um, it, it, it's a virus that, uh, you know, clearly causes uh, problems in, in, you know, mononucleosis. Um, the question is, it, it, can it exist chronically in the body? And uh, my opinion is yes. Um, in fact, uh, you know, when, when you check your EBV antibodies, you know, we always check for IgG and IgM. And in most people, the IgG level is elevated and the IgM level is low or not detectable, which simply means you currently do not have a current infection, but you have been previously exposed. And hence, many would call that you're immune against EBV. Um, however, um, it's a little bit more complicated than that in certain individuals because, you know, the way EBV enters uh, a human cell is with a particular uh, channel that exists in our cells. Um, the, the issue is that the same channel exists, for example, in yeast cells. And, and so when we have EBV, uh, could it be that EBV is transfecting 
yeast cells and, uh, you know, coexisting in yeast, um, hiding in there, um, undetectable by the immune system and activated whenever yeast, uh, you know, is, for example, starved. Um, you know, oftentimes yeast detox is pretty harsh. Is it only the yeast byproducts that cause it or is it the virus coming out of the yeast basically as a defense mechanism for the yeast to tell you to stop whatever you're doing? Don't do your ketogenic diet, diet change because you have terrible headaches and you feel just drunk. Is it uh, something like uh, EBV um, coming out of the dying yeast cell? And so I'm thinking more in those uh, terms. Uh, I don't think that uh, these viral infections um, uh, necessarily uh, are chronic uh, right now in your blood, um, unless you have severe uh, severe immunocompromised system. Um, but you know, my I'm not focusing in my practice at least on viruses so much because if we again go back to the notion that it is the mold that suppresses the immune system, opening the door for all of these co-infections, then targeting the mold should also lead to the eventual waking up of the immune system, which will then kill the virus or any virus that's there. And so um, it's maybe way too simplified to, to look at the problem like this, but that's how I would start to see if, the, if that will happen, if you see improvement and these markers go down um, and then later focus, um, you can certainly entertain. Um, antiviral therapy. Um, but again, if you don't correct the underlying reason that the virus existed in the first place, which can only mean a disrupted immune system, then it will come back. And I'm not a fan of, of chronic medications um, like most of us, right? Excellent. So how do we get in touch with you, Dr. Wagner? You're certainly a meticulous clinician. I'm very impressed with everything that you've said, but how do my people get in touch? Uh, you can go to my website, there's all information there, um, my philosophy, um, what I believe and uh, how to tackle a problem in particular and get in contact with me. And that's uh, drbognerhealth.com. That's D-R-B-O-G-N-E-R health.com. Thank you for being my guest, Dr. Bogner. You're a wealth of information. Thank you. And Luis, and thanks for all you do. And I will uh, speak highly about all the work that you have done to my followers. God bless. Thank you too to my listeners for listening in yet once again to First Lady of Nutrition. Visit us at annlouise.com. Have a beautiful, healthy, virus-free week. Health, shalom, uvracha. Bye-bye for now. And please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.